try to implement some of the PDI culture into just the managing moments. You're motivating them. You're trying to find what's next for them. You're making it fun. You're getting them excited and focused on goals. The leader works for their people. Part of that is really focusing on developing your people outside of the work realm. If the only thing you're offering is a paycheck and the skills for that job, if they find anything else in that industry with a larger paycheck, they're gone. So one of the things that we really try to focus on is developing our staff as people. Managers are afraid, well, if I teach them to do things beyond this, then they're gonna leave sooner. And it's the opposite. They actually stay longer because nobody else gives them that. Throughout his illustrious career in sales management, Ryan Casey has been an expert at developing successful individuals and teams. He understands the nuts and bolts of selling, and he also understands that long-term development requires teaching others outside of the sales realm as well. Ryan achieved Hall of Fame status with Cutco Vector with over $39 million in career production, has built up two successful Orange Theory franchises in the Seattle area, and he also coaches others in the area of sales management. When Ryan Casey speaks, people listen because his message is always full of value. If you're in sales or you lead others in any fashion, I know you'll enjoy hearing from my friend, Ryan Casey. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm really excited to have an old friend and colleague with me today, Mr. Ryan Casey. Definitely a Cutco Vector legend dating all the way back to when he started in the business in December of 1997 as a high school senior. Ryan was a great sales rep right out of the gate, won a couple college All-American scholarships with the company. He's a two-time branch manager who won the Silver Cup his second year as a branch, did over $500,000 in his branch office at that time. He graduated from the University of Washington with a degree in business management and became a district manager, moved to Southern California for his district manager career. He was in the Fullerton area near Disneyland for most of his career down there, won a silver cup as a district manager, 
among many other great accomplishments, was a tremendous developer of people, was ultimately tapped to run the division in Hawaii for a couple of years, which he did from California while staying there in Fullerton. And then he had a chance to go back home to Seattle to be the division manager of Washington, rounded out his career up there, produced over $39 million in Cutco sales. He was great financially. He used his vector earnings to purchase a couple of orange theories in uh, Washington. He left the business at the end of 2019 to focus primarily on owning and operating those orange theories. Of course, 2020 threw a wrinkle into that plan, which we'll talk a little bit about. And Ryan pivoted to do some sales training for small business owners and franchisees which he's been doing kind of on the side. And so he's got a lot of great knowledge, a lot of tremendous experience in the Cutco Vector business. I've been looking forward to featuring him here for quite a long time. Grateful to have you here. Welcome, Ryan Casey. Hi, how's it going? It's good to see you. Good to be here. All right. Well, take us back to your early days with Cutco and tell us about how you got started and what you remember about being a sales rep. Oh, man. I was uh, one of the newspaper kids. You know, found that in the newspaper. And I was really shy when I was a kid. I was very, very shy. And I remember coming home after the job. You know, I thought the a typical story I botched the interviews, nervous, first real interview. And I came back and I told my dad and my mom, I'm like, I got this job. And they'd been bugging me to get a job after football season. And I told them what I was going to be doing. And still to this day, 23 years later, whatever, I still have not seen my dad ever laugh so hard. He was laughing so like he was laying down on the couch and he actually fell off the couch and was on the ground laughing at me. And uh, I was like, I was kind of hurt, but it, it really fueled me. And which was good because I was not a fast starting rep, but I, I picked it up pretty quick. Took me a month or two, but I started getting going after that first month or two. Yeah. And I mean, you had a great first year in the business as a student, right? Yeah. I did something like every week was over 500 back then. I think I had... 47 weeks in a row over a thousand. It took me five weeks to sell a homemaker though. And, you know, I'd turn in like 12 orders to squeeze over like a thousand seven at the very beginning. But I had great managers and I just loved the business. So I was really into to learning and, and getting better. I mowed lawns before and nobody ever congratulated you for mowing lawns. No matter how fast you mowed the lawn, you never made more. So I love the performance base. That really drove me. And, and who interviewed and trained you? Josh Hosford interviewed me. He was an assistant manager for Ezra Snyder. So Ezra Snyder was my district manager. He was one of Mark Lovis's first DMs there up in Washington. And was this uh, in Tacoma area? Tacoma. There wasn't an office in Olympia. So I drove a half hour. I think I skipped school that day, skipped, <laughs> skipped early to drive up for the interview. Yeah, that's cool. And you got to work with Mark Lovis, of course, as a new division manager. And I know that uh, that was an epic experience and a tremendous run for your division team. Tell us about that. It's funny because when, when I started, I was 17. So he was, I believe he was 24, which to me, like he was the old guy at 17. <laughs> you know, now being 40 years old and looking back like, oh my gosh, he was 24 and doing all of that. But I mean, he was just amazing. He really had such a talent for taking something that might seem complex or really intimidating and just breaking it down to something so simple 
and firing you up to accomplish it at the same time. It was just great. Yeah. I know the division won several silver. I think it was four silver cups in a row. Yeah. 98, 99, 2000, 2001, I believe. That's just incredible. What contributed to creating such a a tremendous championship organization there? Well, I'd like to think, you know, I started there in 98 and then I left in 02. So those four years kind of aligned with me. But yeah, (laughs) yeah, but the real thing is he just attracted such great people. He really had the best leaders and and you'd see these really sharp people come through. And some people they're like, you know, I want to stick around for a summer and move on to what my other goals were. But when you saw what he was building and how he treated you, the, the sharpest people from all walks of life all wanted to be a part of it. And I mean, there was some amazing people like Gene Powell and Isaac Tolpin, or Yuli Kim, Lad Bandyhoof, all, all these guys who are Scott Collins, just some tremendous people. And he really just collected them and everybody really felt like they were part of what they were building. Yeah. Mark, I feel like was really great at finding somebody who he liked, who he knew could be good and in just infusing them with belief and uh, promoting the opportunity in such a way that they wanted that opportunity and they could see themselves succeeding in that opportunity. And he just built a cadre of just powerful district managers there. Yeah. And, And the thing I think that also made him different and why it lasted was not only did he build that, but then he followed through with it. So it's one thing to get them all excited about the possibilities, but then he had the skill level to keep those people performing at a high level. And that's what really allowed them to build and sustain such a huge organization for so long. Yeah. Well, what created that accountability with the the managers that were part of his team? I think he really did a good job of making everybody accountable to each other too. There was there was the friendly banter. I've seen divisions where it gets maybe a little too out of hand where you're like rousting your your coworkers. And there was that nice balance of you didn't want to disappoint the team. You wanted to perform at your best. But at the same time, if you were down, you could count on the rest of the people for encouragement. And you had a, a plethora of people to go to for resources. And everybody kind of had their specialty. So it, it was really hard to fail if you really got in there. You had so many people helping you out and Marco has kept you fired up and the solution simple for you. If you needed a solution, he always would be able to break it down and, and give you a bite size. Here's how you take it and run with it. Yeah. Great stuff right there. Now, I know that you ran a branch twice yeah. during your college career. And both times you went out to Boise, Idaho to go run your branch. Tell us about that and how those experiences transformed you. Oh, that was it was such an adventure because most of us came from NORPAC. So we drove all over, you know, Idaho, Utah, Colorado. And there was something like 12, 14 of us branches, uh, Jeremy Bell, Auburn Dolan, those guys. And um, so it was a real adventure. We're like pioneers out taking over these new territories. But um, it was really fun. I always thought I was a I felt like I was a good team player, but that was my first chance to really take something as the leader where I am the leader. I'm not an assistant manager. I'm not just playing a role. This is my show now. And it was also, I believe, one of the first times where I was able to put 100% of my energy into one thing for a short amount of time, you know, for three, four months. And that was the first time I'd ever really done that. And it was super challenging. My first few weeks, I remember calling home and say, this sucks. I want to quit. You know, But I never was going to because I had worked so hard. I'm like, I'm just never doing this again. Right? Quitting never crossed my mind. I'm like, this is just 
a one-time thing though. I'm never doing this again. And that was right. At, you know, you're flying at midnight. Colleges haven't broken yet. So you have no team. I think my first training class, one girl had negative CPO because she gave away too much and the other guy didn't sell anything. So um, at that point, I'm like, what am I doing? But it ended up being like my first branch experience was at that point in probably one of the biggest experiences of my life, probably the best experience of Cutco for me. Yeah. And you did 400 grand in your first branch, which is certainly one of the highest ever first year branch totals to this day in the company. I mean, really awesome. And then you went back out again to Boise the second summer, did over 500 grand and won the silver cup. Yeah. It was was kind of a funny story how that happened too, is about end of July, I got a call from Lovis and he said, Hey, you know what? You're doing such a great job. We're going to move a district manager there at the end of the summer. Because I had always told him, I'm just going to branch once. I just want to get the experience. I'm like, oh, no, no, don't do that. I'm going to come back next summer. (laughs) It's kind of already a done deal. And I'm like, what? And so I remember telling my key staff that like a night or two later that another manager was going to come and I I wasn't going to be able to come back next summer. And like two people started crying and I was like, all right. So I remember getting back on the phone with him. I'm like, I don't care. You're not putting another manager here. I will do more business next summer than anybody's going to do all year. And (laughs) so he held off on it. And then the whole region stuff switched around. So when I went back, I was actually in the central region for Boise. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I was able to come back and had a bunch of people return and we were able to finish off that silver cup. Oh, that's right. We had a uh, restructuring that happened. And we went from the the big giant old Western region that included the Intermountain Division. Yeah. And we went to the six smaller regions. And so that whole area went into the uh, the new central region. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Interesting. That's cool. Well, you became a, a DM after graduating. And I know you took on the opportunity to go to Southern California to Fullerton. That was the mm-hmm. the uh, most exciting opportunity that presented itself to you. Maybe you could talk about how and why that happened. But also, you quickly rose to be one of the great district managers in the company. Your run during your DM days is certainly among the most elite performances of any district managers in the history of the company to this day. And so I would really love to hear about what you felt like were your key success factors as a district manager. Uh, Washington was full at the time and I uh, basically became a free agent. Lovis had gotten promoted to regional sales director and I had cousins that lived in Orange County. So that's why I ended up there. But um, the things that really, I think, took us to the Silver Cup my first full year and, and to where we were at there was really learning to develop the leaders from Lovis was a big thing. I really tried to set the tone early and create the culture that the real rock stars in our organization were the ones who helped other people, regardless of whether or not you are a rep or a manager. And, you know, Michael Amaster had just finished his first full year. He was at like 30 grand in sales. And Leah Eliopoulos had just graduated college when I got there. And she had actually started her real job using her advertising degree and just kept selling Cutco on the side. And, you know, those two how they turned out. They're just incredible sales reps. But you know, those were two of the people who I really targeted is it's like, you're not the, the real key staff. You're not the, the real leaders of this unless you're helping other people. And it, it was a little battle at first, but they've, man, they were so amazing to work with. And Romeo Hosan was there. 
Um, and then we just we decided what we were going to build that first summer. And John Shaw came on and Tommy Season and Brandon Zavala was in that fall. And then 2004 uh, was just an epic year. And that that first full year, we had such great people. I think that set the tone for, for everything. Yeah. So the development of leaders was one of the key things. As a manager managing a sales team, what do you feel like are some of the important keys to making sure that your people are succeeding and that your leaders are evolving? Yeah, the best way to learn is to teach was a mantra throughout our whole office because you can always tell people, hey, you have to help other people. But unless you show what's in it for them, it's hard to get them started on that. Once people actually start helping others, and they see how much it benefits them, then they're more apt to keep doing it. You know, it becomes the flywheel where it just naturally happens. So that best way to learn is to teach was something that we focused on to say, hey, if you really want to get good, you need to be able to help other people. Otherwise, you don't really know it. You know, it's kind of that challenge to people and, and people bought in. We have people like Gilbert Gonzalez, you know, came in the cocky baseball player. I'm the, you know, it's been really successful with golf and baseball and, and came in and cocky little 20-year-old and turned into a a great manager and still one of the great leaders in Western region today, being part of that culture there. Yeah. The names that could be rattled off from your career down there are pretty cool. You already referenced Michael and Leah, who have become two of the all-time great sales reps in the history of the company. Gilbert Gonzalez, as you said, Kina Feldstein came through your organization as well, right? It was largely developed by you. First pilot. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And quite a few other great people that you've had a chance to impact while you were there in Southern California. Any other key success factors that you feel stand out during your district manager days? I think a big one would just be not cutting corners. You know, I was pretty meticulous about making sure things were done right. And, you know, with being a manager and being able to be so independent, it makes it really easy to cut corners. So, you know, some of my managers would probably remember hearing that I would always say, hey, if Bruce was in the room, with you every time you worked in the office or if you were or whoever the RM was at the time, how would you perform? And I, I tried to do that at all times. You know, if I was in the office, I wanted to be working hard. I never wanted to, you know, be slacking off. I always kind of think, hey, if, if that region manager was watching you at that time, how would you be performing? And I don't think all managers can say, I would perform the same way I normally do as if that region manager was there. And I, I try to make sure those were aligned. Yeah. One of the uh, most important concepts that that has stuck with me from a book over the last few years is this concept called greatness in the moment. And to me, like that is the essence of, you know, not cutting corners of bringing your best to everything you do of, of work ethic. Work ethic is not necessarily about working 15 or 16 hours a a day. It's bringing your best to everything you do. If you're going to do something, you might as well do it to the best of your ability. And you've always been somebody who's just very meticulous and I, and I definitely could see how others would adopt that principle or concept from from following your lead. Yeah. So you got a chance to run the division in Hawaii for a couple of years. I know that was fun because I got to do that for the couple of years right before you. There was sort of a an opportunity for people from the mainland to lead the Hawaii team until we had somebody out there full time. And I'm sure that was a lot of fun. And then after a couple of years of that, your opportunity came to return to Seattle to run the division in Washington and Alaska. I would just love to hear, you know, what is memorable from your district, your division manager days. Hawaii was amazing. That was, you know, that was my first shot. I had waited quite a long time to be a division managers. I loved the West Coast 
region, you know, Western region, West Coast. And I turned down some other spots across the country to kind of pay my dues. And like, I wanted to stick there. So I was, it was so excited to be able to run a division in, in the Western region. And it was fun to build it from scratch. You know, I got promoted and then the ne- I went out there for my first visit and the manager's like, yeah, I'm moving back to Chicago or something. And so I was like, okay, my, my one office is gone, which seemed to be a theme in my division manager days. And then uh, Ron Geronimo just had been waiting to move out there and he moved out there and it was so much fun building it with him. We didn't have a lot there and we had a couple people that said they wanted to run an office and then they kind of bailed last minute and like, well, what are we going to do? And he's like, let's call my brothers up. And we called them up and they're playing video games. And a, a week later, they both flew out to the Hawaii and they were running offices. You know, they might as well have jumped out of the airplane with a parachute on and 20 bucks in their pocket. And they both had, you know, great summers over the years. And th- that was a lot of fun with Hawaii is working with the Geronimos. They're just such great people. Washington, it was fun to come home. When I moved to Southern California, I figured it'll probably be like three or four years. 10 years later, it, it was really nice to come home, be close to family. And um, it was a different experience uh, taking over that division because they had a lot of success in the past. They had just won silver cups, but then also been chopped in half. And there, there was just kind of all over the place. People had, who were leaders had been promoted out. Isaac had moved on. And so it was a very interesting time. And then the next year, Vector had kind of an event that were a lot of managers kind of transferred to different places. And so uh, that was a little challenging. And um, it was those first few years were tough. And then it was nice to kind of build things from scratch again, you know, and have like Austin over Billig was probably my favorite part of all of being a division manager in Washington was to see his growth from, you know, being the punk kid that got fired from Safeway to he's going to be a future division manager. He's great talent. Yeah, he's really been blossoming here and gives a lot of credit to you for the foundation that was created for him in his career and in his life. So it's interesting, you know, in asking you about your favorite experiences as a DVM, you talked about people, right? You talked about Ron, you talked about Russell, you know, you talked about Austin. And that's really what is most rewarding as a leader, right? Is those what we call human trophies that we help to develop. And and your legacy of human trophies and Vector will be strong through Austin and many of the other great leaders that come through him. Jesse Oyama, I know, started with you and she'll yeah. be a district manager now this year. And it's exciting to see uh, you know, what you've helped to leave behind. So you left at the end of 2019. You, you had built up a lot of financial well-being. I know that uh, you referenced that uh, we had some upheaval that happened in 2014. And I'm personally aware that your loyalty was rewarded very well during that time. And you were able to sock a bunch of money away over several years. And you parlayed that into owning your first Orange Theory. And then you purchased the second one after that and really began to build this vibrant business you know, with Orange Theory that was bringing you in a substantial income, ultimately even more than you were earning with Vector. And so you know, the time came where you were able to retire, we could say, from the company triumphantly. At the end of 2019, you, you know, left the reins over in a great way to us and to the people who were left behind. And big expectations were there for Orange Theory in 2020 and beyond. And then the pandemic struck. And of all the businesses that I think about that were hit the hardest, it's like gyms is like one of the worst things that uh, you know was hit. And so I know that it was a difficult year for you, but that you were at least prepared 
from a financial point of view to deal with it. I also know that because of your skills in selling and sales leadership, that you were able to pivot to be able to partner up with some other great people, Eric Van Horn and others, to be able to get into doing some sales training and coaching small business owners, franchisees about how to lead their organizations. Just tell us a little bit about this experience of 2020 and how it sort of has led you into what's happening now for you. We had just had Kyler in the fall and uh, 2020 was tagged in our household as the year of fun. We were going to travel and do all those things. And year of fun had a rain check there, probably 2022 now. But um, <laughs> yeah, gyms in the West Coast, we're, our second studio still is not open. We're, we're opening in about two weeks. So at the end of it all, it will have been closed for 50 consecutive weeks. And so, yeah, it was tough. I've always been a saver. So financially, we were good for most of that year. In December, it started getting a little nervous. But I guess going back, leaving Cutco, one of the things I felt the big void was community and my my circles of influence. And so that's always been you know, a big goal last year. And, and as I was leaving Cutco to surround myself with more great people like you see in the Cutco world... So I got a call with Eric Van Horn, who's in the Front Row Dads organization, and he's kind of a franchise guru. And he started asking me about my studios, and I told him kind of the results we're having. And we had two of the top performing studios in the nation. We were basically full. We, we couldn't get to where we could even almost hit more members. And he asked me why. And I'm like, why? Well, I, I taught him how to sell. Like He started asking about my Cutco background. And it's like, you got to share this. And so he basically put on a sales challenge where I, I brought in the material to his network and it was great. And it was, I mean, we had organizations where they had all of their locations double their closing percentage after a, you know, a week training boot camp and an hour call. And people kept asking for it. So I was like, well, I'm not doing anything else right now while the gyms are closed. And then it started getting into the fall. And I'm like, you know what? If this keeps up, I'm going to have to think of something. I mean, I've saved a lot of money, but I can't afford to be paying out you know, rent on studios and not have any money coming in. And so I put together kind of the sales course and had people go through it and had more great results. And you know, it's fun now that the studios are kind of back online and coming. It's, it's more of just something I'm doing to kind of help out because in my franchise community, I'm involved in a mastermind there. There's other people that have really asked for the training and that, uh, that like it. So I'll probably turn it more to a course that will be kind of ongoing without as much effort for me than doing it live each time. But it was nice to have something I could fall back onto with the things that I learned in Cutco. Yeah. What are some of the key principles that you feel are important for salespeople or sales managers to, to learn? Well, the, where the sales really hits with the franchisees is people working in health and fitness and those, they love the industry. None of them like to sell. Right? They, they hate selling. It's scary. And it, it's really similar to teaching somebody who has no experience how to sell in Cutco. And so that's something that I'd, I'd combined while I was doing Cutco and Orange Theory at the same time. I saw some of these places where they really melded together well, the same type of training. And it's just really helped both businesses there. And so now that's, that's what I teach is kind of the low-key sales training, finding the whys, finding what's your real objective instead of just trying to sell. I think too many people they're focused on the sell. We're in like um, in Cutco. I remember I think it was George Ristad. He's like, my goal is to get 15 referrals. That's my goal. I know if I do that, the sales and everything else, that's going to happen naturally. But that's what's really what I want. And I think the same thing happens in small businesses is they say, we'll just just sell as many memberships versus I don't care about the memberships. I want to create a community. 
of members who are here for a long time and hitting their goals. And then you rework your sales process to accomplish that. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't happen out there. And so that has been a really effective course that we've run with other people. Yeah. What does that look like? Like walk me through the process that you had in teaching your Orange Theory people how to be able to sell more and some of the principles that you're sharing with other people. Yeah. And it started right at the first summer. One of our top people, she's like, I hate selling. Can I just do everything but the selling? I'm like, no. And and I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, you don't hate selling. You think you do. And so I'm like, so I asked her, I was like, can you build rapport with people? Do you like getting to know people? And she's like, yeah, that's great. I love that part. I'm like, okay, well, what about asking questions? Like, do you feel comfortable finding out our member's story and what they're really looking to accomplish and what their goals are? She's like, oh yeah, that's easy. Okay, what about telling them about your product or in this case, Orange Theory? Do you like explaining all the cool features and benefits about there? She's like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I'm like, now, if, if somebody wants it, but there's a problem, do you, do you feel comfortable helping them problem solve and figure out a way to, to find a solution? She's like, I, I can do that. And then once somebody buys, do you like celebrating with them? And she's like, well, that's my favorite part. And I'm like, well, guess what? You can sell because <laughs> like, that's what selling is. You build rapport, you get a connection, you ask them questions to find what they want. You educate them about the product in a way that fits their needs that they just told you about. If there's something that comes up that's keeping from it, you handle the objection. And I hate the phrasing handling objection. No customer wants to be handled. And so we talk about listen, understand, and problem solve instead of handling objections. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the objective isn't to make a sale. The objective is for a long-term member. So once they buy, you're not done. You, you want to reassure them. You want them to feel great about their purchase and then throw any other steps to help them get connected to that community or I call it bridging it to your objective. From the sale to what you really want to accomplish, there's things you can do to bridge them there. And that's, that's the process. I love that outline that you just shared of the sales process. And, and what you said was really compelling that sales is scary for people, they, but they just think they don't like it. They don't understand. Like sales gets a bad rap. A lot of people, when they think about sales, they think about like the used car guy. And that's not what sales is at all. As you know, and as I know, sales is understanding how to influence people. And influencing people is important in every walk of life. And it starts, as you said, with the connection, right? Building rapport. Most people like connecting with other people, right? Most people like getting to know other people. That's typically where sales starts. And then you said asking questions, right? Again, most people like that. Most people, if you think about you know, an interaction, meeting someone, they enjoy asking questions, getting to know people. And that's all a part of the initial sales process. And in that process of asking questions, we teach people, of course, I'm sure you do, how to be a good listener yeah. and how to be able to uncover like what are their objectives? What are their wants, right? And then how can we fill those wants with what we offer? right? Explaining the features and benefits, as you were saying, about what the gym offers or what this business offers or what this opportunity offers for people and going through that stuff. And then, of course, right, problem solving. If there's if there's a challenge with being able to figure out how to make it happen, I like that way of presenting it much better than handling objections, as you said, right? An objection sounds like something most people would not want to try to, to tackle, and I think of it a whole lot more as like a question, right? Or you might describe it as a problem or an opportunity or whatever, but problem solving is somebody I think people can buy into. 
And then I love what you said about celebrating after, right? Because in your business, you're trying to get people to be a customer for life, right? In most any business, we're trying to get people to be customers for life. And we want to build a relationship that's ongoing. So we celebrate the new relationship that occurs when it happens and it gets people to feel good about the decision they made and it gets people to feel good about being part of your ongoing community. That's just a great outline for a sales process right there. What we do. Yeah. The objection one is funny. The, the analogy I like to use with it that people seem to appreciate is I say, when I'm talking to managers, I say, if, if you're telling your staff to handling objections, you might as well be telling them to go jump in the ring with Mike Tyson, right? It's extremely intimidating. And what's happening is they're probably going to give up before they even try. And if, you, if you're a sales manager and you've ever heard your staff get an objection and just say, okay, that's what's happening. They're so intimidated about that process, they just, just give up before it happens. Where if you teach it as listen, understand, you ask those clarifying questions, customers like to be listened to, they like to be understood, and then they like solutions to their problems. So it's, it's a lot easier. Yeah, exactly. Great stuff. Ryan, you've been a tremendous success at pretty much everything you've done. Uh, you were a great sales rep. You ran a Silver Cup branch office, one of the all-time great district managers in the history of the company built two different divisions, largely from scratch, successful Orange Theory businesses now. I feel like you know a lot about what it takes to succeed in business. And I would love for our listeners to be able to draw a straight line between building a successful vector operation and what it takes to succeed in business in general. What do you feel like are some of the commonalities that you see between a great vector business and any great business outside of Vector as well. The first thing that comes to mind is, is, is servant leadership, is really working for your people. And especially when you get outside, I think Cutco does such a great job of you know, motivating. Managers are so motivated to help their people. Part of that's just attracting the right people. Part of it's the, the culture the company has built in. And I think having that servant leadership focused on goals. Uh, so those are some of the things that I would use from Cutco in our studios. Yeah. You uh, use the phrase managing moments and you reference PDI, which in the vector world is uh, whatever personal daily interaction, or uh, there's probably multiple acronyms for it. Pretty damn important, I think was one. But that basically was the daily interaction with people where we're finding out how they're doing, helping them take their next steps, etc. You called it managing moments. So you would see an opportunity as you were, you know, working with people at your studio and you would be able to work with them on that in person, right? So it's a little bit different than PDI over the phone in a vector context. But what, what are other like PDI principles that come to mind for you? I think uh, switching the, the mentality to win-lose to win-learn, like the, that's a big one. And so when we hear a, a sales associate talking with somebody, something doesn't go right, you know, I, I want them focused on the win-learn. I want to get better. We do offer commission, but they, they have the hourly pay. So it's not like you know you're you sell a homemaker or nothing. That's a big difference. If you have a no sale in, in this job, it's like it's not the end of the world. You're still getting paid. So I still want them focused on constant improvement. And that's actually our LLC name is Kaizen Culture. And because we want, you know, Kaizen's constant and never-ending improvement. So we want a culture of constant and never-ending improvement. So that win-learn mentality is something we try to ingrain from the beginning. Mm. I love the culture of constant improvement. I mean, that's obviously something that is relevant in any business for sure. And so 
you know, when you think about that line between a vector operation and any other business, having a servant leader that views themselves as working for their people, developing people outside of the work realm, managing moments, the culture of constant improvement. Yeah. These are all great connections. Is there anything else that comes to your mind that would be an important idea here? Maybe just working with people the way they want to be worked with is the most effective. You know, in, in Vector, we use a lot of situational leadership. I use CVI a lot. So working with people, recognizing the phase they're in. If they're a new person, you're not delegating to them. You're more directive, the coaching, supporting, the whole situational leadership, and then the CVI, understanding where somebody's coming from. As a, as a banker builder in sales, most of the people are merchant innovators. So I, I've had to learn that, you know, not everybody's going to do things the way I'm going to do them. And so I really have to come from a way of how can I teach this in a way that they're going to be appreciative, but also be the most effective way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in life, it's like the five love languages and understanding how you deal with people who are, you know, in, in relationships with exactly. in business, like CVI is sort of that same kind of idea as learning to understand somebody's core values learning to understand somebody's personality at, at a deep level to the point where you can lead them in a manner that they feel comfortable being led, yes. right? As a banker builder, Ryan, you want things to be you know, relatively fast, efficient, simplified. You're not somebody who is into you know, anything being longer than it has to be or more of a sort of a casual environment to meetings, right? You're like banker builders want things a certain way. Yeah. Um, and I think that as you get to know people and you realize where they are on the CVI scale of banker, builder, merchant, and innovator, you can understand how to work with them in the ways that, uh, that make the most sense. So I like that, the situational leadership. That was great. Wow. Nice. What's happening for you now, Ryan? And what are you excited about when you look into the future? Family is the thing I'm the most excited about. You know, kids are the age where Kayla's four, Kyler's one. They're playing together all the time. You know, I get up, take Kayla to school and do bedtime stories every night. And I'm excited to get back to the year of fun where we're going to do some traveling uh, with those. So that's the main thing going on in my life. But for business ventures, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not in a big hurry. Uh, I'll probably do some more of the sales coaching because it feels good to be helpful. And it's been great to see some of the improvements and hear the feedback and feel that I can give some value. But uh, I think moving forward, I know that I want to work with a team. Sitting alone in my basement doing videos over the last quarantine time is is not my my favorite thing. I, I like to be working with others. And so we'll, we'll see what's next. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Well, I'm sure whatever it is, it's going to be successful. Do you have any, any like last words you'd like to share with the Vector audience today? For the Vector audience, I would say, you know, you just got to stick it out a little bit. I was terrible at everything I did in Vector when I started. I was a terrible rep. My first few weeks of a branch manager, I was terrible. When I was an assistant manager, Mark Lovis hung up the phone listening to me do PDI. Even my first, you know, a couple months as a DM didn't go as planned, even after the branch success. But I grew up in this company. I, I've still... In my life, I've been in Vector longer than I haven't been in Vector for my life. 22 years with the company. And I, I wouldn't change it. It was so much fun. And uh, I got so much from it that you have to get past those initial growing pains, whatever phase you're at. And if you do, it's awesome. It's worth it. Yep. Well, you always had good people to help you through those growing pains. And you were always willing to learn 
and to grow. You're a very smart guy and you're able to quickly adapt to any situation and learn what it took to succeed. You describe being terrible. You were never terrible at anything for very long. No. Uh, you got through those things pretty quickly because of your acumen and the support of great people around you. And I think that, yeah, you know, everybody in Vector can certainly look to the support network they have and be able to say that we've got a culture here that can help people to evolve and learn and succeed, uh, you, know, you know, in whatever it is that they want to do. And as we've talked about today, a lot of these skills, a lot of these insights, a lot of the experiences that people are gaining in Vector are straight line connected to anything they're going to do down the road and can help them become successful in anything later on in life. So... Ryan, I want to thank you very much for being part of the podcast. This has been great. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. All right. Ryan Casey, everybody, just a great example of a Vector alum who has had great success while he was here at Vector and is continuing to build on that success after Vector and also continues to give back to the Vector community and support other people here who are in the business still to this day. What struck me as I was talking to Ryan was the people, all the names that came up of people that he started with, from the Gene Powells and Isaac Tolpins to people that he had a chance to grow up with in the business, like Jeremy Bell, to others that he has influenced and developed, Ron Geronimo, Austin Oberbillig, of course, getting a chance to work under the legendary Mark Lovis. So many great relationships being built. Such an important part of what we do is the relationships. I love what Ryan said about you learn through teaching, and he always encouraged his leaders to be helping other people. And that helped him to develop great leaders in his Fullerton organization. That helped him develop some amazing sales leaders who were giving back. It helped him develop people like Gilbert Gonzalez, who has become a powerful and influential leader in the company. Just really good stuff there. The importance of selling as it pertains to success in any business and what the sales process really is about connecting and asking questions and uncovering someone's wants and needs, providing solutions, right? Solving problems, celebrating the success at the end of the sales process. That was all so good. And of course, Ryan also shared the concept that a leader works for their people. This notion of servant leadership is integral in the success of any operation. Ryan also mentioned the concept of CVI or the core values index as he was talking about situational leadership. This is a personality assessment that many vector leaders have used in order to be able to work more effectively with their people. As a service to the podcast audience, I have arranged to have anybody listening be able to take the CVI assessment for free. I encourage you to visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals to see some of our podcast sponsors and you will find CVI listed there along with a link that you can use to take the CVI test for free. Check that out. I want to thank Ryan Casey for the time and energy brought to the podcast today. I want to thank you for listening and supporting. Have a fantastic rest of your day, everybody. Thanks for listening. 
If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. Thank you.